Thank you for joining us. You're listening to a Saturday edition of Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel. Today's sermon is pre-recorded. Walk out your faith. Walk out your faith. O oh Lord, as I share this word that you've placed on my heart, would you bring conviction of sin? Would you show us where we've missed you? and where we haven't walked out our faith in obedience to your command. And Lord, we ask today that as this word goes forth, you will bring courage to our heart to both repent and go back up, pick up the pieces, and get back on the highway of holiness. For Lord, which of us has not missed you? Lord, have mercy upon us today and make clear this issue. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. They came to Jericho. There was a man sitting beside the road. His name was Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus. Son of Timaeus means son of uncleanness. Bartimaeus was the son of uncleanness. He'd heard about Jesus. He knew that he had the power to heal, or so it was reported. So this man of uncleanness, as he sat beside the road, begging for his daily bread, heard the news that Jesus was passing by, the sound of the commotion and the voices and the excitement, he heard that Jesus was passing by, and we find the story in Mark 10. Mark 10, beginning with verse 46. Then they came to Jericho as Jesus and his disciples together with a large crowd were leaving the city. A blind man, Bartimaeus, that is, son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Bartimaeus had several decisions to make. He could choose, if he wanted to, to remain seated beside the road in his beggar lifestyle. After all, he was accustomed to being a beggar. He knew what life was going to be like sitting beside the road. He was secure sitting beside that road. He didn't have to do anything extraordinary. He didn't have to put up with any hassle. He just had to sit beside the road and collect the money as the alms would be placed at his feet. He knew he was unclean. And he could have chosen to stay in his uncleanness beside that road. But the Spirit of God rose up in his heart and said, there has to be more. I have to be free of this blindness. And the only thing he knew to do was begin to cry out at the top of his voice, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Now, the problem right at the beginning we have to face is that some of you are sitting beside your road. 
depressed, begging, trying to figure out how to make it, and you haven't decided yet whether you want to get out of that mess. You have to decide. And when you decide, there's no strategy. There's no slick deal to get out of it. There's no seminar to go to. There's only one thing you can do to get out of that deal. As Jesus is passing by, begin to cry aloud, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And you can't do it inside in a quiet voice. You've got to begin to cry it out loud so that you are embarrassing yourself. Now, people said to blind Bartimaeus, Shh! Shut up! Stop this crying out to him. You're making a nuisance of yourselves. Now, there's no way you're going to get out of your beggarly place and look good. You don't get out of those kinds of places and look good. There's a humbling of our heart that has to take place before God and before others. And there has to be a crying out to God and saying, Oh God, rescue me. If you don't rescue me, I'm going to die. I have to be free of this. And other people, I don't understand this, but I'm just telling you what I've learned by experience. Other people have to also hear you crying out. And it's going to make some people mad. When you decide to be serious about following Jesus Christ, other people are going to pay a price for that decision that you're making because we're all connected one to another. One family member is tied to another family member is tied to another family member. And when one of those family members say, I'm going to follow Jesus, they start jerking the chain of everybody around them. They don't want to sit down and watch the TV. They don't want to indulge in all the football stuff. They don't want to indulge in all the world's deal. They want Jesus. And I'll tell you right now what they're going to say. They're going to say, look, you're getting radical. You're off balance. You can have the world and Jesus too. It's a smooth deal. I know my preacher told me so. They're going to come with, God is only grace. He loves you. He is unconditional. All you have to do is let God love you, and he'll take you to heaven. And you read the word, and you say, no, wait a minute. What's this about obeying Jesus? What's this about walking the narrow path? What's this about the highway of holiness? And they're going to say, oh, you're an old legalist. Of course, when they tell their child, I expect you to behave in this way, and the child says, oh, mom, you're just a legalist. That doesn't get very far. Now, that doesn't work. It it doesn't work for our kids, but we want it to work with us, with God. We want God to be the big permissive Santa Claus. We want to put our money in the Coke machine and get our Coke out. And God's not a Coke machine. He's a righteous and holy God who doesn't cut deals with people. He's no respecter of persons. 
So here I am. It's not God who's in the mess. It's me who's in the mess. It's not my brother who's in the mess. It's not my sister who's in the mess. I'm in the mess. It's my sin. It's my hardness of heart. It's my coldness of spirit. It's my rejection of the way of God. Now, what am I going to do? You have to decide. Are you going to sit there and keep quiet and let Jesus walk on by and you'll be blind the rest of your life? Or are you going to start crying out and saying, God, I can't continue to walk this way. My heart hurts too much. I'm too lonely. This is just too hard. I have to have peace in my heart. I have to have a new way to relate to the people around me. I'm in a rat race. That means I'm a rat. The only deliverance is Jesus Christ. Where we finally say, Jesus, I've had enough of this. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, you can go to the counselors. You can go to the doctors. You can go to the college and get another degree. You can go buy a new car. You can go buy a new television. You can go buy new clothes. You can go buy a new house. You can go on a two-week vacation. You can... You do your deal, whatever it is. But when you're done, you're still sitting beside the road begging. And you have to make a decision. Are you going to spend the rest of your life sitting beside the road begging with a bunch of other beggars? Or are you going to walk into heaven under the name of Jesus Christ? The only way you're going to walk in is to begin to cry aloud, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And no matter what other people tell you, you let it go. You go for Jesus. He's your only desire. You want Jesus. Many, verse 48, many rebuked him and told him, be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped. Jesus stopped. Oh, so many times. I've wished that I could stop Jesus. Jesus, could I stop you for a minute? Could I have just a minute of your time? I just need your attention over here, Jesus, just for a minute. Well, there's one way to get his attention. Call him by his favorite name, son of man or son of David. Cry out to him and say, oh, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And he's willing to stop. I want you to notice something. He stopped, but he did not walk over to blind Bartimaeus. Now, I want him to stop, and I want him to walk over to where I am and say, you poor little victim, how about if I just pick you up and do it all? He doesn't do that. When you walk out faith, Jesus is going to stop for you. He's going to wait. And he wants to know, are you going to get up and throw off your cloak and come to him? 
That's what blind Bartimaeus did. He got up, he threw off his cloak, and he ran. Now, wait a minute. What's the cloak? It's the only, the only possession he has. Now, you recognize he's blind, and if he throws off this cloak in the crowd, he can't see if somebody's going to steal it. He's blind. So if he throws off this cloak and he runs to Jesus, he has no assurance that that cloak is going to be there when he gets back. And besides, it'll probably be stepped on by a lot of people. This is, his, this is what keeps him warm at night. This is his survival coat. He doesn't have a closet full of cloaks. He has one cloak. He throws it off. You've got Jesus to stop by saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now the question is, will you throw off your cloak? Or are you going to try to bring your U-Haul trailer to God? And say, now Jesus, I have a whole list of requirements that you must meet if I'm going to let you give me my sight back. You've got to do this for my husband. You've got to do this for my wife. You've got to take care of my kids here. You've got to do all of these things. And Jesus, if you do all of that, I'll accept you giving me eyesight. You know, it's really dangerous to have eyesight. Because then you're expected to be responsible. If you're blind, you can play victim. And you can be mad and you can say, look how bad it is. But when you have eyesight, you see suddenly. There's no longer any excuse. There's blind Bartimaeus. He's running toward the voice of Jesus. And people are saying to him, Come on, blind man, cheer up on your feet. He's calling you and throwing his cloak aside. He jumped to his feet and he came to Jesus. And now Jesus does something that just astonishes me. He says, what do you want? What do you want? So you can get Jesus' attention and he'll stop. You can go to him and the first question out of his mouth is, what do you want? Because when you tell him what you want, he knows whether to move on. Or whether he has something to give you. I want you to fix all my problems, God. He's moving on. I want you to make me feel comfortable. He's moving on. I want you to let me be a victim the rest of my life. I want you to be I want you to let me be mad. I want you to make me a man of note. Successful, rich. He's moving on. He's moving on. He said I want to see God always answers the cry of the heart when the cry is, I want to see. 
The sight is the problem. I want to see. I can't stand sitting by this roadside blind for one more moment. I've got to see. Jesus responds, Go, your faith has healed you. Go, your faith has healed you. This is interesting that Jesus' first word to blind Bartimaeus is, get moving. I suspect that he started moving before the eyesight was restored. Get moving. Go. And his eyesight is restored. Immediately he received his sight, and he followed Jesus along the road. Now, I'm sharing this story today for a very specific reason. You have listened and watched as Pastor Jan and myself have walked by faith. Sometimes we've missed it, and sometimes we haven't. But part of what you've watched is as we have announced things, and then you've watched it finished. And you've heard us say, wait on God. You've heard us say, walk by faith. But there are some missing pieces that have been brought to my attention that I need to come back and identify very specifically. The Lord kept prompting me on internet radio kept prompting me on internet radio. And so I come now, I said, Lord, are you saying internet radio? He doesn't answer. doesn't answer. He's already told me internet radio. Tony Dargan calls me from Weva, and he says, Ray, I'm leaving Weva. I don't know what I'm going to do. But I'm interested in, I'm interested in talking to you about internet radio. I could have said, Tony, I need to pray about it. And I need to find out if that's God's will. And Tony would have said, okay, call me when you, when you come to a decision. And he would have taken another job. The Lord had already told me internet radio. So I said to Tony, I believe we're to move forward with internet radio. Would you please do a proposal? Would you give me a budget? Yes. I'll have it to you this afternoon. He did a budget. I said, I think we need to move forward with this based on what God had told me earlier. Now I come to the final precipice edge, a contract with A&D Audio. Shall I make a contract with these people? 
At this point, I go back to the Lord and I say, Lord, here's the contract. Do you want me to move forward in this? You know we don't have the money. And I know you have to pay for what you order. And I'm not going to go in debt. Would you give me clear direction? Not only would you give me clear direction, would you give Jan clear direction? We've got to agree together on this. Some things I'm willing to step forward on, just my knowing. But on some things, I'm not willing to do that. I have to have my wife with me. And so we both began to pray. I came back to Jan and I heard, go, go, go. That's all the Lord would speak is go. So what are you hearing, honey? Quickly, go. I called Tony and I said, the contract's accepted. Don't take the job on Monday morning. I don't have money to pay for the contract. How can I do that? Because God said so. So I'm going to stand by faith that he said move. I'm taking the steps as he tells me to take the steps. Now, let me identify the painful, difficult part that some of you are facing. You have heard God say to you, do something. And you've said, okay. And then you didn't do anything. Because you were waiting for God to tell you the next step. And then a period of time goes by, and you even lose interest in doing what he told you to do. So now you go back to God, and you say, Lord, was that really you six months ago? Was that really you two years ago? You told me to do that, but I didn't do it because I was waiting for you to give me the money to do it. Or I was waiting for you to do something for me, something more. I need you to do something more for me. God's not talking. And you say then, well, I guess I miss God back there. No, you didn't miss God back there. You miss God in not obeying. In not stepping into what God was telling you to do. It could have been a car that he told you. It could have been a job. It could have been a selling your house. It could be any number of things. The Lord will speak to us. He'll tell us what to do. And then he expects us to step in obedience as far as he's told us. And then when we get to that edge, we wait for him again. And then we go as far as he tells us, and then we wait for him again. <clears throat> but I have to be honest with you. When God tells me about something, I want him to outline the entire deal. I want him to tell me, go here, do this, and then I want you to go here and do this, and then after you've done these things, this will be the result. God does not operate that way with us. 
He wants us by faith to step in obedience to his word, not going ahead of him, but also not going behind him. He wants you right with him. And so, let's say the job situation. What if Tony had said, I am miserable at this job at Weva. I don't want to be here. Lord, I'm crying out to you to deliver me from this job. He hears the Lord say to him, turn in your resignation. But he in his worldly wisdom would say, oh, you can't quit a job when you don't have a job because you've got to take care of the family. He has four children. You can't step forward until you've got your bases covered. Now, had he said that, he and I would never have had the conversation. He would not have a contract with the National Prayer Chapel today. And he would not be working on internet radio. You know where he'd be next Monday? Down at Weva, moaning and groaning and complaining against God. How could God be so bad? How could he be so hard-hearted? How could it be so difficult as to leave him in that situation? Well, God's not leaving him in that situation. He's choosing to stay in that situation. God said, turn your resignation in. He was afraid to turn it in. Praise God, Tony turned it in. And then God took the next step. Now, does Tony know what's going to happen next month? Is Pastor Ray going to say, look, this is costing too much money. We just don't have it. We've changed our mind. We're closing this thing down. How does he know this contract is going to be honored? Because he made it with Jesus. He made it with Jesus. So he knows because he's walking by faith. And some of you are going to have to go back. and You're going to have to review things decisions that you've made in the past where you didn't hear from God, but you made decisions. And you got yourself into jobs or into contracts or into relationships that God didn't want you to be in. And you have to confess that before the Lord and put that under the blood of Jesus Christ and ask him to cover that and say to him, now, what would you like me to do? Now that I'm here, what do you want me to do? I have people come to me and say, I married this person, but it wasn't God's will for me to marry this person. Pastor, what do I do? I have to read to them the scripture. God hates divorce. You're in the marriage. Now cry out to God and ask him to deliver the marriage by totally transforming it into the likeness of Jesus. You're in a job that you hate. You can't stand to go to this job. It's killing you. You've got to go to the Lord and cry out to the Lord and say, Oh God, have mercy on me and wait for him to tell you what to do. 
You can't just walk away from it until he tells you to walk away from it. Now, you know we've said many times, God pays for what he orders. God does not pay for what you order. You pay for what you order. God pays for what he orders. But the Lord is under no obligation to show you the whole road map. He's going to show you one piece at a time and wait for you to step into obedience to that. And when you step into obedience in that, and you cry out to the Lord and say, now, Lord, show me the next step, he'll show it to you, you take the next step. And it's step by step by step, walking by faith, trusting in Jesus, submitting to his will, not being arrogant and hard-hearted, not getting an attitude, not stepping out of obedience to his command in your heart. And as you walk day by day in obedience to his command, he opens up what he's chosen for us. Some of you today are in a very difficult place because you're still going back to God and saying, I haven't heard from you, God. When the fact is you heard a long time ago. And you're just hoping God will give you a different answer. But God is not a man that he should change his mind. He speaks and then he expects us to walk in that, to step into that, and to be obedient to him. Now what do you do today if you've just missed God? You've taken an action or you have not taken an action that God commanded you. What do you do? I only have one answer. You put it under the blood. You confess it before God. And you say, Lord God, I missed you on this one. I missed you. Jan and I have had to just struggle with this because Jan went this last year five months to Ohio to get her mother's house rehabbed and on the market. We thought that was what God wanted us to do. We stepped into that, primarily out of a sense of obligation to her deceased father's will. But the Lord had spoken very clearly to Jan and said, don't fight with your brothers. Her mother wanted her to come and rehab the house, but her, her brothers didn't. So we didn't interpret that correctly, and so we stepped into that thing. It brought misery to us. It was a trial to us. It cost us money. It cost us time. It cost us energy. And finally, as it all was passed, Jan and I did something that we always do. We go back. And we, we review the past. And we say, Lord, would you show us what has happened in the past? Did we miss you? Was this our flesh? Was this our sentimental desire? Or was this you? And as we prayed about it, we were convicted that it was our sentimental desire to our deceased precious father. And so we stepped into something that turned into a, a snake's nest. 
and we got bitten. And there was bitterness in the family because of what we did because the brothers said they wanted to do it. Now we've had to confess that before the Lord. We've had to say, Lord, we just missed you. And it was our fault. It wasn't that you weren't speaking to us. It's that our own hard hearts wanted to do it our way. And we've had to confess that. We've wept before the Lord over this. We've asked him to restore what was broken because of our willfulness in doing what we thought we should do. Now, God's grace in all of this is that he's redeemed some family members. Now, please hear what I'm saying to you. Even your worst mistake, God can turn around and redeem the lost out of that. So you think you've made a mistake on a job? Let God redeem that. You think you've made a mistake on your house? Let God redeem that. You think you've made a mistake on the car and going in debt? Let God redeem it. The word says all things work together for good for those who love the Lord. So even my mess gets changed into something that will bring honor to the name of the Lord if I will confess that thing and put it under the blood of Jesus Christ and not be arrogant and hard-hearted and cop an attitude and think I want to just sit beside the road and pout. And that's why I keep coming back to this blind Bartimaeus story and saying, we have to cry aloud to the Lord and say, Son of God, Son of David, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. And then he starts this whole process all over again. And he says, okay, let's take it from the beginning. You've got to look at this decision again. And he begins to unfold before you another way. It's different than the one you missed. Because time has moved forward. Circumstances are now different. When we disobey God, we can never again go back and recapture the blessing that he was going to give to us if we had simply walked in obedience. But instead of beating ourselves up with that, we put our eyes on Jesus and we walk forward and he begins to open up that next new place. And as we step in obedience to that, he opens the way before us. We want to be so sentimental, make our judgments, demand what we want. The word of the Lord is very clear in Hebrews, the 12th chapter. Therefore, verse 1, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, and you know who the witnesses are, Elijah, Abraham. Isaac, Jacob, heel grabber. We're surrounded by these witnesses. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles 
and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. God will not ask us to move forward without marking out the path for the race that he's called us to run, but he will not show us the finish line. If he showed us the finish line, it would not be a faith walk. So he's not going to give you the end, except read Revelation over and over. I can only tell you there's one end I see in Revelation, and that is Jesus wins. <laughs> Jesus wins. That's enough of an end for me. So I don't need success. I don't need prosperity. I don't need any of the world's lollipops hanging out in front of me. I need Jesus. I need Jesus. I need to know that he wins. In the end, Jesus wins. And now, Jesus, what's the race you've marked out for me? And all of this sin that so quickly entangles, cast it off and say, Jesus, I'm on my way. I'm not going to spend the next week feeling sorry for myself. I'm not going to spend the next week condemning myself and telling myself how bad I am. Let's get rid of this sentimental schlock. Cast it off. And say, Jesus, what's the race you've marked out for me this week? I'm on my way. I don't see the end of the road. I don't even see beyond tomorrow's command. But I'm on my way. I love blind Bartimaeus. I love blind Bartimaeus because all he could do is cry out to Jesus. You realize there are many in the day of Jesus who sat beside the road and did not cry out, and we've never heard of them, and they were not healed. They died in their blindness. I don't want to die in my blindness even if I'm comfortable in my blindness. I don't want to die in my blindness. I want to see heaven. I want to see the face of Jesus. I want to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. I pray, O oh God, make me blind to the world. Make me blind to the path of darkness. Let me walk the path of light. So today, Jesus wants to come to you, and he wants to pick you up wherever you are in the process of walking out the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he starts new and fresh every morning. So today, how are you going to walk out before Jesus? What are his commands on your life? What sin has he told you to let go of and stop playing with? I mean, some of you have said to me, <clears throat> the Lord told me to lay that down. I'm waiting for him to take it from me. What? What? The Lord says lay it down, and I'm saying I'm waiting for him to take it. No. 
The Lord says, lay it down. Let go of it as with hands touching a hot stove. Let go of it. That attitude of bitterness in your heart, let it go. That attitude of judgment in your heart, let it go. You don't need it. Instead, hear the word of God in your heart as you read the scriptures and as you pray and as you ask him, speak to me, Lord. Now, what's my day's assignment? And I step in obedience to that day's assignment. I go as far as he tells me, and then I wait. And then I go again as far as he tells me. We were sitting in a house in California. The Lord came one morning as I was in the prayer closet, and the Lord said, you're going back to Washington. I said, oh, no, Lord. I don't want to go to Washington. I have done Washington. Lord, I want to go to San Diego. I want to go to some pleasant city. (laughs) So I said to my wife, honey, we're supposed to go to San Diego and talk to the man at the... Christian radio broadcasting and see if we can get a broadcast on and start a church. That's what I did. Went down to San Diego and guess who we met? David Ruhlman was the manager there. He's now at Weva. Told me the price. Impossible. I knew I couldn't go to God and ask for the money. So he'd said, go to Washington. I wanted to go to San Diego. I went back to my prayer closet. And my prayer time then was from 8 o'clock in the morning. The Lord said, you pray like you're working. You start at 8 and you don't end until 5. Late in the afternoon of that next day, the Lord said again, go to Washington. I argued with him again and I said, Lord, Jan will not agree. He said, I'll take care of Jan. That's what he said. I immediately went to Jan and I said, we're moving to Washington, D.C. The Lord has said so. She said, oh, not me. I need to have some signs of confirmation. I said, oh, no. Don't test the Lord. She said, no, I have to know that it's God. She gave two signs. I said, okay, let's kneel down and ask God to give those signs. And I was saying, God will never give her these signs. I'm going to tell you what the signs were so you'll know how impossible it was. One, we had to have a call from a radio station in D.C. offering me airtime and a free broadcast. That doesn't happen. They have to call us. They have to find us. And the second demand that she made on God is that property had to be given for a new church. She said, I'm tired of waiting on God for money. I have to have property. I have to see something tangible. I said, sweetheart, all right. She was new in her faith walk. She had just become a Christian. 
I said, okay, let's pray. I got down and I said, Lord, you've heard us. And the phone rang. I got up from my knees. She said, we're not done praying. I said, answer, I'm answering the phone. It was a radio station in Washington, D.C. asking us to please come back and offering us both airtime and a free broadcast. WDCT, 1310 on the dial. It's now a Korean station. I came back and I said, Jan, this is what's happened. She said, I'm not going to Washington because God hasn't given us property. The next morning, the phone rang. It was a family up in Gaithersburg, Maryland. They said, what would it take to get you back to Washington? I said, it'd take property. He said, that's not a problem. How about 20 or 25 acres? I'll donate it to the church. I said, don't do that. <laughs> he said, Ray, it's yours. When are you coming back? I said, as soon as God sends us. I got off the phone. I told Jan, we're going back to Washington. Now, what should we do? We had no money. And the bill for a U-Haul truck was $3,500 at that point. We had no money. We were behind on the mortgage. Car payments were behind. The electricity was going to be shut off. The phone was going to be shut off. We had no jobs. What were we going to do? Well, I'll tell you what we did. Jan immediately pulled out the boxes in the garage and said, let's pack the house, honey. We're going to Washington. We packed the house. All she saved out were two small suitcases. We lived out of suitcases. And then God sent the money. So now we have the money in hand. And we're saying, now, Lord, would you tell us what date you want us to leave on? We're ready to go. Some of you, God has told you, sell your house, but you won't pack. Some of you, he's told to leave your job, but you won't leave it. Some of you, he's told very specific things, and you're saying, I don't want that. I don't want that. I'm mad. I want to sit beside the road and pout for a while. Or, God, if I'm going to do that, you're going to have to tell me what the end result will be. We packed the house. God said you're going to Washington. We packed the house. I called U-Haul. Got the prices. Reserved a truck. And then we sat. The Lord sent the money. We sat. For three months, we sat. And all we did all day was pray and read the scriptures and wait on God's timing. Now, why the delay? We didn't understand the delay. We thought it was personal. We thought God was persecuting us. 
God wasn't persecuting us. God was waiting for his timing so that when we got to Washington, we'd have a place to stay. We woke up one morning, like every other morning, we immediately together went into the prayer closet, and the Lord spoke to both of us and said, today's the day, go get the truck, you're moving. That night we were packed and on the road, headed for Washington. That fast. Now I want to tell you the glory. We left California with not one penny of debt, with every bill paid by the sovereign hand of God. God pays for what he orders. But now what if we had said, okay, God wants us to go to Washington. We'll pack the house when he tells us how. We'd have died in that desert. We had to pack the house. We could pack the house. We couldn't provide the money. There were other things we couldn't do. God had to do that. But we could pack the house. So we packed the house. And we waited on God. And then God sent the money. He paid the bills. We waited on God. And then God said, now go, quickly. And that night we were on the road. We came to Washington, and we arrived in Washington, D.C. with no money in our pocket, a U-Haul truck that had to be unloaded, and we had no place to unload it. But God had made provision. A family said, come and stay with us. We'll help you put your furniture in storage. Well, thank you very much. God told me I had to come to Washington. That meant he had to open a church for me. No, that meant the desert was deeper. That meant for the next seven years there would be no church. There would be just a time of discipline and reading the scriptures and learning how to wait before God while he broke every lie in my spirit. I hope you understand what I'm talking about today is not some primrose road. It's called the straight and narrow path. It's where you're willing to submit and surrender to Jesus Christ and go as he tells you to stop when he doesn't tell you, but as soon as he speaks, step in obedience to what he's told you and go as far as you can in obedience to what he's told you. And if you crash and burn, you crash and burn. If you miss him, you repent, you pick up the pieces, and you say, Lord, I'm sorry, put it under the blood for me, please. Now what's next? And you go again, because we're headed to heaven, and Jesus wins. So have you missed God? Have you been rebelling against him and refusing to step into obedience to what he's spoken into your heart? Have you perhaps even forgotten what he said to you because you have no interest in doing it. Never once in my study of Scripture have I found that God changed his mind because somebody didn't like his command. 
It's a straight and narrow path. But as we step in obedience, and step in obedience, and step in obedience, we come out to the end, and the testimony is so much fun to give. Look what God has done. We have internet radio, we're on. God is doing such a wonderful work. Whoa, go back. The agony of walking without knowing, risking everything. I mean, I've stood before you and said, God has said, go internet radio. Now what if I come back to you and say, hey, I miss God on this. You're going to say, we have a pastor who's a fluke. I mean, I put myself on the line because God spoke to me and said, do this. And then if it messes up, how do I come to you and say, oh, I just miss God. Well, you know what? That's what I'd have to do. That's what the blood's for. And this isn't a walk to be arrogant in. It's not a walk to be proud in. It's a walk where we're together learning how to hear God's voice. And stepping, stepping, stepping. And when we mess up, confessing. I tell you, I want to be in a church where we don't have to always hear right. I want to be in a church where we can hear and step out and mess up and the fellowship steps around us and helps us through that place and says, hey, we're with you. You're not alone. Okay, you missed it. Now, what are you hearing God tell you now? You know, this church is not a shepherding church. Be clear about that. You know what a shepherding church is? It's where the pastor's the boss. It's where you come to the pastor and he gives you his great wisdom and tells you, yes, buy that car, don't buy that one. Go here, do that. No. In this church, we're all, we're all responsible before Jesus to hear his voice because he's the head of the church. You're responsible to go into the prayer closet and hear from God for yourself. You're supposed to take the word into your prayer closet and read it for yourself. But when you make a mistake, you're not by yourself. That's when we step around and say, how can we help you bear the burden? We walk it out together. When we mess up, we say so. When we hear him and we walk in obedience, we have a testimony of unbelievable joy. This is what Jesus has done. You understand? This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Because his orders come day by day if we'll obey him. So what action is the Lord asking you to take? Who is the Lord asking you to confess your sin to? What bitterness needs to be released so that God can speak once more into your life? If there's known sin in your life, if there's bitterness in your heart, you will not hear the voice of the Lord. And you're on your own. So what needs to happen today in your heart? 
that you can hear the voice of God and begin once more to step in obedience to his commands. If you feel stuck today, if you feel stuck today, it means you need prayer closet time. It means there's repentance that has to be done. Instead of getting mad, instead of throwing a fit, get in the prayer closet and confess your sin and get clean by the blood. Then pick up on the next command of the Spirit and walk it out. And as we step by step move into that place of abiding with Jesus, He straightens our crooked paths. He brings the light of his word to our path. And we do have that peace that passes all understanding. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. Come visit us. I love you, my brother, my sister. I'll talk to you soon. With great joy Now unto him who is able To keep you from falling And to present you blameless Before the presence of